But not everyone believes that biology is destiny. For many scientists, it's your experiences in life that count. Your upbringing, your education, your environment. Chief among these scientists is psychologist John Watson, who has a theory that is the nerve... Pigeon learned that pecking the disc produced a reward. Then the behavior of pecking could be studied in relation to how often that reward was offered. Or in Skinner's terms, what was the schedule of reinforcement? Ten things that what we call schedules of reinforcement. Reward, and you can schedule it so, so that the reward occurs every now and then when a pigeon does something. We usually use a response when a pigeon pecking at the disc. Welcome back to Spit and Twitch's The Animal Cognition Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Dave Broadback. I don't like calling myself doctor. It makes me feel weird. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Welcome to season two, episode two, or season, well, not or season, uh, or if you're looking at all of them, this is episode number 21 of the Animal Cognition Podcast. The pr- I would like to call it the premier Animal Cognition Podcast. It's also, I think, the only one. Uh, today, I'm going to talk to Jeff Martin. Uh, Jeff, who just finished up his PhD, uh, uh, I've known a little while, uh, I guess since about 2015, uh, maybe 2016, something like that. Uh, Jeff attended Northwestern, Northwestern Oklahoma State on a baseball scholarship. Wow. Um, he's got both a BSc in health and sports sciences there, and then a second BSc in biology. I think this is probably where he started to get into stuff because uh, he was specializing in natural history. And he did some research there under the uh, supervision of Dr. Aaron Place investigating uh, simple cell conditioning in, in, in reptiles, mostly snakes. Pretty cool, right? Um, basically, you know, looking at, and this is the kind of thing you do as an undergrad. Can you teach reptiles things? That kind of questions, which is actually kind of fun. Um, then he moved back home to Canada. It's interesting. I, I want to get to how a Canadian gets a baseball scholarship in the States. I think he played first base. Jeff looks like a first baseman. I, I'm just guessing. Um, and I attended Western, uh, working at the... Uh, advanced uh, facility for avian research with Dave Sherry uh, for his master's looking at uh, his master's research focused on how birds respond behaviorally to changes in uh, overwinter temperature we'll talk a little bit about that paper today Um, then he continued at Western for his PhD which he just finished up with Dave Sherry and Yolanda Morby Uh, his research there focused on caching big surprise (laughs) decisions made by Canada Jays and what factors may influence uh, Site and item selection, sort of classic stuff there. Uh, I love, if you know me, you know I love the food caching stuff. I'm a big fan. If it weren't for the food caching stuff, I wouldn't be doing this podcast. I'd be doing something else. Um, He just started a postdoc at McGill, which is pretty exciting. Uh, And he's going to be looking at uh, male choosiness in brown-headed cowbirds. Cowbirds are fascinating animals. Also, mean. I think they're mean. I think cowbirds are mean. Um... He's going to look at the. Uh, this is. A, he's he's going to look at the uh, importance, rather, of ecologically relevant tasks in animal cognition world and uh, in animal cognition behavior. The cool thing about this, and I mean, it's it's going to be fun to talk to Jeff because I mean, I've known him for a while, and I I you know we get on, and we can talk sports, we can talk animal cognition, but also the cool thing here is he's our first person, I believe, whose PhD is in biology, not in psychology. We'll ha- psychology. Why did I say it? Psychology. Why did I say it like that? We will have more of those. I've got some plans for the uh, upcoming uh, season, but we'll certainly have more. But our first biologist, you'll hear in a second, and I hope you enjoy my conversation with Jeff Martin. Hey, welcome back, everybody. It's the, I, I never know what to say. Uh, I sound like I'm doing a show. I think I am doing a show. It's Spitting Twitches season two, episode two, or episode, I think that makes it 21. Uh, and my guest today is Jeff Martin. How's it, how's it going, Jeff? It's good. Thanks for having me on. I'm, oh, I'm pleasure. excited to be here. Oh, that's cool. That's that's, that's nice to hear that it isn't a chore. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because as I, this actually is work for me, technically. This is my sabbatical project, which actually starts tomorrow, but I'm doing it now. Um so we first met, I guess, was it 2016 at CO3? Is that right? Or 2017? I I would, I think it would have been 2016 because mm-hmm. I started my master's in 2015 yeah. and I went, yeah, the first, first April. So 20, April of 2016. Right, right. And, and you were just, you were just the guy at the front of the room 
leading the the student presentation yeah. section. That's right. Um, and I, I knew nothing about you at all. And, and I still do. My first, my first thing. Oh, I know. But my the first thing I picked up was that you read the paper really, really close. Yeah, I can't and see like, that. Well. You know, now I know why. Yeah, yeah. that's right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the uh, I appreciate a good blind joke. Uh, thank you. Um, I knew that. So <laughs> yeah. So everybody, don't get offended. Uh, I'll tell you when to be offended. The um, so we met then, and you were you did you were doing your masters with Dave Sherry. And I got to know you because, of course, I know Dave. And uh, also, um, my daughter uh, at the time was working on her master's as well at the same time in psychology. You're our first biologist. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, yeah. So everybody else has been a psychologist who dabbles in biology because there's such a gray area, right? Um, Yeah. You know, it's... I mean, I've, when I was out looking for jobs years ago, I was interviewing in as many zoology departments as I was in psychology departments, just, you know. Um, totally. It's, it's great. And, and David, I mean, David's training is, is in ecology, right? David Sherry. Yeah. And his is weird too. Cause he's got a background also in like ethology, right? Like going yeah. way back. Yeah. Yeah. Like his postdoc is, is John Krebs. Yeah. 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 So it's gray. And I think the, the grayer, the better in this I particular. Agree with you. Uh, that's one cool. of the things I, lo- I love about this 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 subfield we're in is the fact that it's very um, it's interdisciplinary by nature, like it just has to be, and it wasn't always that way. There's it's, there's a whole backstory For, you can read certainly. about back into the up until really the, the mid '80s. Um, there was people, psychologists and biologists, two different sets of people. But you're our first biologist, so you went. Your undergrad is a different story than most people because you had an athletic scholarship at an NCAA Division II, but that's better than any anybody else has ever been on the show. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a school, a play in baseball. Tell me about that. I did. Yeah, um, I went. So I, I went to Northwestern Oklahoma State. Um, which is in in sort of the definition of the middle of nowhere, rural <laughs> Oklahoma. Yeah. Um, up in like the Northwest panhandle. Wow. Um, which you can see, your, you a, can see people coming for dinner. Cause you just got to look at, they may be coming in two weeks, but you can see oh, them. It was great. You hit, you hit, you hit a fly ball and, and the wind kicks up and it just sort of goes. And then, <laughs> you know, it sort of goes over the horizon and you're pretty sure it's in Kansas. Um, it's big, big, real feel the dream stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so I went down there to play you, baseball. And you were playing baseball, obviously in Ajax where you're from, right? Yeah. Yeah. I played growing up. uh, Yeah. Forever. I mean, I started when I was like four. Okay. Um, Ajax named after the HMS Ajax from the battle of the river plate. Most people don't know that. That is Um, true. And home to a home to a large munitions factory in the second world war. See it all. It's got this. So we're talking science. I like we're talking world war two stuff and baseball. I'm, I'm, I'm in. Um, (laughs) So you end up getting this baseball scholarship, which is very cool. Uh, You played what? I, I think I remember you played first base. I did. I settled at first base. I was one of those uh, <laughs> yes, sort of a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. Sort of prototypical. If you can hit, they'll find a spot for you. Right. Um, so I, I moved around a lot, and then my my junior and senior, or third and fourth year, as um, we say in Canada, yes, as we say in yeah, I, I settled in the first base. Yeah, and I, I just I looked it up before we started. You hit three fifty nine in twenty fourteen and three eighty two in twenty fifteen. Those are some pretty good numbers, my friend. Yeah, I did. I did. At one point, at one point, I was pretty good. <laughs> That's great. At one point, I, I was pretty good. I came yeah, back to yeah. Western and I kept playing, and uh, I was I was not quite as good. So, well, but, you were in graduate school. I mean, it, it's hard. I to had other through. things to do. Yeah, there's things to yeah. do. Um, so you're there. You're you're a student athlete, and you're doing a degree. And now let me go back to you. You you told me this. Um, but a bum, but a bum. Scrolling down. But you, you were doing a degree, but you did two, like two degrees, right? At the same time or something? Yeah. So I started when I first enrolled, um, I, I wanted to be a phys ed teacher. Okay, sure. Um, because out of coming out of high school, I had, I had had some really, really positive experiences in phys ed and, and the things that uh, my phys ed teachers you know, had done. And, sure. and so I enrolled in a, a health and sports science program, which is sort of a kinesiology-esque right. program. Yep. Um, and I took a bunch of courses, um, but the school I went to was a liberal arts college. And yeah. so we had to do, you know, gen ed requirements. You've got to take survey courses all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, funny enough, not too dissimilar to, uh, to Jenna's uh, origin story from last week. Yeah. I took a survey course. Mine was in biology. Okay. Um, and and I, just, I just loved it. I just thought it was fascinating. Um, my instructor was awesome. Um, you know, very charismatic, engaging, 
made the material more interesting than maybe it was in first year biology. <laughs> That's what you have to do yeah. in first year, man. You're putting on a show. Yeah, exactly. And so, and he did that. And, uh, and so then I started in sort of my second and third semesters taking more and more biology electives to fill out my, my like course calendar yep. um, with the attention of, of doing a minor in biology. And then um, I just, I sort of started to, to do the math on how many courses I was taking and I was taking, I just, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it so much that I was taking above the required course loads. Oh, so your academic advisor wasn't really paying attention. Is that oh, my going? academic, my academic advisor um, was an enabler. Um, and, he was <laughs> and you know, great. if it works and if it works for someone like you, that's great. I mean, and, and he was, yeah. he was very aware. Um, and he, yeah, totally very aware um, ended up being, sort of, we don't have typical honors thesis programs, but, uh, or didn't, but um, he was my, you know, my research supervisor and, mm -hmm. and very aware. And his, his thought was sort of like, if you can manage it and you're still enjoying it, that's fair. Why not? And so yeah. I, started, I started doing the math on the number of courses I was taking and what departments they were falling into. <laughs> um, and, and I discovered a loophole, um, which is meant for people returning to school Yes, of course. To get a second, a second degree. degree. Uh, my, my, my wife has, uh, has, has, has a fine arts degree, and her, that's her second degree. And they counted all her uh, courses from her original history degree as her electives. Yeah, right. yeah. So and it's the same kind of idea. Okay. Same kind of idea. They count all your gen eds, like all of your general education survey courses. Um, and then you've just got to make sure you meet the major requirements, which is essentially two years of study. Um, and I was doing the math on them and I, I realized that I was only going to be, when I graduated, I was only going to finish like three courses short of being able to just get the second awesome. degree. I love it. Um, and so I just, <laughs> just tacked them on. Um, I did <laughs> a course you. in the summer one year. I sure. took a night, a night class one year. Sure. Um, so yeah, so I, I ended up doing, um, I, I stayed the course with this, uh, health and sports science degree. Um, but sure, I also ended up getting yeah. the degree in biology. Uh, which turns out to be the best decision. I, yeah, I guess made. so. Right. I mean, <laughs> it, it, it's amazing too. Cause I mean, doing that as a student athlete can't have been easy. Right. And I mean, you must've been studying on buses. And... Yeah, we had, I was, yeah. I mean, I, I'll say one benefit of being a student athlete in the States um, is that, is that it's more widely recognized um, as a, as a priority. And also I'll say that I had a, an incredibly supportive network of faculty that's awesome. Um, and coaching staffs that let me do. So, you know, things like I would, I would get my own, I wouldn't get my own hotel room, but we would have this hotel room where my coach would proctor exams that I should be writing on okay. campus. Okay. Um, and you know, they, they come in the sealed envelope and then it's just me and yeah. a coach in a room with a desk. And then it goes back in the sealed envelope and goes back to the, you know, yep. but, but, but people were willing to do those things to right. make it work for, yep. for myself and one other student when I was there. Oh, that's amazing. Um, and it was, yeah, I, without those, that support network, it's not possible. So did any of the guys that you played with end up playing in the pros at all or, um, from, I, yeah, a couple, I have a, so our catcher, um, guy named Logan Porter is in, I think double a with the Kansas city Royals right now. Okay. Um, and then in high school, I, I was, I just, the timing, um, so Josh Naylor, who plays right field for the Cleveland Indians, yeah. um, who will hopefully rename their team soon. Yes. Um, I played with in high school, um, against huh. in high school. And then um, a little closer to home, Jordan Romano, who is the closer for the Toronto Blue Jays, yeah. uh, was my roommate for a couple of years when I was 17. Oh, nifty. 17. That's neat. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's funny to, you know, you look back, I was... I went down a rabbit hole before we started talking today and I was looking at thinking about baseball in London, Ontario, and there's a yeah. the inter-county inter league, uh, the London majors. And, uh, this, by the way, everybody else listening to this doesn't care. Um, but <laughs> we'll get to science soon. We, I, promise. We, I promise. Yes. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, and I, 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 then I remembered, Oh, a buddy of mine played for the London majors. And in fact, his numbers retired. He's thought of as the greatest player they've ever had. <laughs> so this guy I played high school football with, um, and he also won the London high school hockey scoring title and he was the, he got 502 yards rushing in a football game once he was insane it was like a pretty mediocre athlete. yeah yeah everything yeah, he touched yeah. he could just do i remember we got a pool table and he, he just said i've never played pool before and he like clears the whole table it's like how are you doing that <laughs> um so you're doing this in school you're 
you're, you said like you were the stuff you were doing, you know, it was like an honors thesis thing, but it was more like can reptiles, can snakes do things. And it got you interested in sort of animal behavior, animal cognition and angle in biology, right? Yeah. So we, we, I, undergrad exposure was, was all reptiles. Yeah. Um, my, my advisor, um, did his work on Western diamondbacks and the evolution of the, the rattle, cool. um, as a, as a lure. Anyway, that's cool. Yeah. If, you, if you're on interested its own. in it. Yeah. But, but, um, so we had, we, he had a collection of snakes. Um, and so those were sort of the, the test, the animals that we had to do stuff with. And, and at the time, the literature, I mean, it's still not amazing, but it's much better now yes. um, on reptile cognition, um, you know, wasn't really there. And so we could ask questions like, you know, can snakes learn? And it wasn't, it wasn't totally, you know, benign. Like we genuinely kind of didn't know, Yeah. you know, you know, if you apply basic classical conditioning, you know, rules to a snake, like, does it work? Right. Um, and no, so, that, that, yeah, that, that's yeah. the kind of thing I think a lot of people do with, you know, uh, one can assume always that, you know, uh, everything that's ever been tested shows classical conditioning, but that doesn't mean that this thing will. So right. you, you need empirical evidence. And, exactly. Yeah. And that's so then you decide, I want to go to graduate school um, and you applied to work with Dave at, uh, at Western. Um, and were like, did you know about his stuff already or was it just like doing a search and things like that or um sort of a combination I, i'd read i'd read my share of things sure. um you know i don't think i mean i'm a little bit biased at this point coming out of david's lab but yeah, i don't think you can i don't think you can properly do an animal cognition yes. course without talking about david and oh capacity. no that's that's just simply right? true yes so so i'd been exposed like you know a Prop properly in in my air quotes that nobody else can see, um, uh, you know through through classes and then you know I'd read some of some of his things and also um, I, I wanted to come home. Um, I had enjoyed my time in Oklahoma, but you know it's a long way from from family and from of the, course no I get so, it yeah so I was looking I was looking in southwestern um, Ontario mm -hmm. generally mm -hmm. um, and then yeah and then David I mean so I, I and then I knew it of David's things and so. Um, that's and sort I, of what drove yeah. me to Western, and 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 then also, I mean, Afar. Um, yeah, for those, just, it's unreal. We have the the advanced facility for avian research at Western, and so the like the, you know, the toys we get to play with. Yeah, it's unreal. Are just cool, and so yeah. a lot of a lot of draws, sort of sort of simultaneously, and um, and then I came to Western, of course, and I yeah. I met David, you know, for an interview beforehand, mm -hmm. um, and. And, you know, this, this sort of never meet your idols yes. thing, you know, um, but it just like, it didn't hold for, for David, obviously. No, you know, no. He was, he was wonderful. I mean, yes. yeah, you know, of course. Yeah. You know, David. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, you the know? thing about he, he's, he's the most, and I mean, this is going to sound effusive, but he's extremely kind. Like he's a, just a really nice man. Uh, you know, Rob Hampton described him once to me in an email. He said, he's just such a lovely person. And I mean, it's, it's true. He's also super smart and he's done things that are blow away. But he's just this nice guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. E ego. And like David has every reason to have ego. He could be the biggest jerk in the world he, if he wanted he to be. He just isn't. He's no, he's not. The, like the nicest man. Yes. Um, and one of the most interesting people on the planet. Uh, yeah, there's a whole backstory there about the acting and all this other stuff. And he's got oh, yeah. this killer sense of humor. And I mean, I could see how, you know, I know when I first met him when he was at U of T, when I was going to grad school. Um, while I was working with Sarah, um, David was, of course, always around at lunch and everything. And I just found him really funny. And we would go, he got on very well right away from that. Uh, and he also had this way of saying, um, when, he, when, when you were wrong about something, he would make it look like he was wrong. He'd say, I don't think I quite understand what you're, what you're trying to say here. Now, maybe it's my fault. And you'd be like, no, it's almost certainly mine, man. It's almost That's certainly mine. So that, 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 that has evolved a little bit, I'll say. <laughs> okay. Um, but like it hasn't strayed too too far, right? <laughs> you're, you're you're in lab meeting or you're in a meeting and 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 you know you've clearly you've clearly done something that he he doesn't agree with on every level. Yeah, and he'll say, "I think I I think I see what you did there, <laughs> and maybe I'm just a little confused." But have you considered? And then he'll tell yes. you, you yeah. know, in yeah. in it's just it's so nice. <laughs> 
Yeah, but it's no. so very obvious what he's trying to get you to no, see. No, and, and at that do. point, that's right. And that's, that's when you go, oh, yeah, 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 you're right. I'm wrong. Good. Um, yeah. the, I remember the first time I ever argued with Sarah Shuttleworth. I, I was finished. I was done my PhD and we were writing up some stuff. And I said, no, you're wrong about this. Like, I actually yelled at her. I've never done that before. It's probably just six years of things just <laughs> welling up inside me. And, um, and as I was, and it was a statistical thing, and I, I knew, I still do know stats better than her, and it was my thing. And she used to call me and ask me stats questions, and, and I'm saying, "No, you do this like, like you said, and I'm wrong. I'm sorry." Um, <laughs> so, I just always love that story. So when you get to do your master's, um, pretty exciting, and you're going to work. Uh, you end up working on. Uh, the effect of overwinter temperature um, and what it has on, on problem solving, which is again, a cycle. I mean, I, I know that there's, we talked about how much overlap there is, but it's a psychological kind of thing. Cause it's about behavior. It's about cognition. And you dealt in this a little bit before. Did you feel a little bit, I don't know, out of your depth a little bit. And I'm not saying you were, cause I don't think you are. I'm saying that I would feel that way. <laughs> uh, yeah, totally. Um, cause I feel that I way think- with the biology, by the way, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I think, I think that especially as a, a new master's student, um, you know, like, like I say, you know, I can say all these things um, about David and how wonderful he is. And they're all, they're all, you know, yeah. they're all true. Yes. But he's still, he's still David Sherry, you know, to a new master's student. He's, yeah. he's still a little bit intimidating. And so of course he is, yeah. I think that there was a little bit of, of, of um, like trying to fit into the lab. And I think this is not just a, a David Sherry lab thing. I think this is no. new master students joining the lab. You know, you're trying to fit into the lab a little bit. And yeah, I, I did. I think that I, I maybe went a little bit more yeah. psychology than I had originally maybe intended or huh. expected. Right. Um, and, and I think that, I think that one, that was, I mean, one, it's been awesome because it, it forced me to, read the background lit in psychology that I had not been exposed to because my, my training is all in all yeah, biology. Sure. So that was great. And I, I think the other one is it's a, it's a result of, of David's supervision, supervisory yeah. style. Yes. You know, like I, I, there was an interesting question and he said, yeah, go for it. Yeah. You know, and, and we just sort of went and saw where that led. Yes. Um, so yeah, I think a little bit maybe out of the uh, out of my element on on some yeah. of the things, but but that's I think, okay. But, but yeah, exactly, and I think you know to to do this stuff, to do this in this field well, I think you do have to. If you're a psychologist, I think you have to learn a bunch of biology. If you're a biologist, you have to learn a bunch of psychology because it is interdisciplinary. By and you, all of us need a little neuroscience. So um, yeah. if that we want to think of that as something separate, so you know you put all these things together, and I think and I mean you did a nice job. This uh, talk us through a little bit uh, the, the 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 paper that comes out of the master's thesis, this overwinter temperature stuff. So, yeah, this, this paper is sort of, I, I read, I had read some of, um, some of uh, Prav Zudov's work yeah. um, and some of Marcel Visser's work uh-huh. um, on, on mountain chickadees and, and great tits, respectively, mm-hmm. looking at sort of how large-scale environmental changes um, can impact cognitive ability and cognitive function and, yes. and things. And, and one of the things that I sort of was looking at it and David and I thought was maybe missing was, was whether or not these were um, the result of, of behavioral flexibility, behavior, uh, the result of, of plasticity, or if they were the result of, you know, these sort of large scale, long-term evolutionary mm-hmm. processes. And, right. and, and most of the work sort of Pramzudov and his, his group, I guess maybe uh, a trend more towards the evolutionary yeah. side of things. And, and Marcel Visser, um, I kind of does the, a, an intersection of those two things okay. where he, he does, um, you know, it, it's, it's a lot of behavioral plasticity and flexibility are, are in there about how the birds are coping, but it's all long-term climate trends and, 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 you know, mismatching of, of reproductive timing. Um, and so we wanted to look at what happens if we just take, you know, adult birds in a short sample yeah. and fundamentally change what their overwinter period looks like, right. what the, what the, the, the stressful part of the year looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and of particular interest, we wanted to look at temperature. And so right. um, what we did is we just superimposed a heating effect on subsets of our birds. And so we had three groups, one group that was always warmer. Um, so they had, they had added heat all the time um, for months. 
uh, one group that had added heat, but only overnight. So we, we, when the, when the sun went down, the heaters turned themselves on. And so we avoided those really, really cold winter temperatures. Um, and actually we created a pretty interesting, um, admittedly a little bit accidental, um, variable treatment where the temperature fluctuated huge. So Oh, okay. Sure. Would, yeah. When the heaters would kick on, the temperature would kick all the way up to the, the warm group's temperature. And then they would kick off overnight and the temperature would fall back down to ambient. And right. so these birds sort of experienced warm, cold, warm, cold, warm, cold, all the way through, mm -hmm. the, through mm -hmm. the winter. And then we had our, our control group, which just experienced ambient temperature. Yep. Um, and one cool thing about, about doing this uh, or, or doing this sort of superimposed heating effect this way is that we get roughly the same temperature difference between the control and the warm group. Right. But it varies naturally, right? So uh, our control group was just ambient. So we got temperatures as high as like 12 degrees um, Celsius and as low as like negative 15 or something. Jeez, yeah, okay. And, um, and the, the warm group had the same variance in, in, their, in their temperatures, but it's just always about 15 degrees warmer. Um, which is admittedly a, a large temperature difference, but, sure. um, but we figured if we're going to see something, we'll see it at these sort of disproportionately yes. different, uh, different temperatures. So, so they overwintered in those sort of states um, and they just, they just behaved. They, they weren't food restricted in any way. And then um, in the spring um, we, we ran them through a, a sort of series of, of cognitive assessments um, so a problem solving task that had been used by uh, Tim Roth um, uh, while he was at the Provzudab lab. Yep. Um, and then uh, a, a novelty assessment, um, which just was a, a pretty simple, um, uh, a pretty simple response to a novel yeah. feeding apparatus. Yeah. And if people are interested, there'll be a link in the, in the show notes and they can, they can look at the paper. So cool. Excellent. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, and so, yeah, long story short, we did all these things um, and we found nothing. Um, See, and I, I love I, that. I, 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 I love that you yeah. found nothing, by the way. I, 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 I want to just say this. The fact that nothing happened, yet you got published is a huge thing because more papers that don't have results that are that I shouldn't say don't have results that don't have yeah. differences should be. I almost said the F word published because <laughs> it really well, it's my, my show. It pisses me off that things get re rejected because like when I didn't find anything. No, but you've you've you've. you've yeah, so I, yeah. I should have corrected my. Uh, actually, I was going to correct my language. I, I didn't find nothing. I found no. no I found, found no, no effect. effect. Temperature, and I think I think one that's interesting in its own right. Yes, to be published for that reason. But even if you're, I think that even if you're going to take the super cynical approach that it's not interesting because we didn't find anything again, uh. my air quotes, nobody can see. At the very least, this is publicly funded research. So we should put it out there so no one tries it again. I mean, try it again. <laughs> try it again. Please try it again. No, exactly. Someone you, go replicate you find this. Them, you know, you yeah, exactly. If you, cite, if you cite find Jeff. any reason why it didn't work, yeah, <laughs> cite me multiple times. No. Um, yes, yes. But, cite, um, cite, I'll say it. Cite Jeff multiple times. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, this. you're right. It's besides the fact that it's public and you're at a public institution doing these things. So you're being, yeah. th this is being funded by our tax dollars. People should know what we did. Thank you. Um, but it's also interesting in its own right. See, this is the thing. And I, I think that a lot of times people, I don't know if it's, I, I want to say old timers, because I think I'm almost one of them now, but I think a lot of older people see non-significant or no difference results as being uninteresting by definition. And that just simply is, well, now I am just going to swear it's bullshit and <laughs> it's my show, damn it. And, exactly. uh, uh, you know, and the thing is, the paper actually does see something, right? It says, well, these differences, when they are found, are from somewhere else. Right. And that means something. Yeah. I mean, it, it, if anything, I think that, you know, we said this, this is an observed phenomena that we see, that these yeah. different populations of individuals have different cognitive abilities, or at least they certainly appear to. Um, and the, the, the province of group has been really consistent in showing these things. Oh, totally. Yeah. Cause I, right? I've read some of this, this work. Yeah. 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 And so we basically said like, we think that there are maybe two explanations for this. We're going to test one of them because you can't do them both simultaneously, or at least we couldn't, at least no. in the two years that I had. Yeah. So we're going to, and, and, you know, we didn't find anything. So maybe indirectly we lend support to the second one. I, I think that there's still oh, that's right. interesting things. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm glad that it's published. 
selfishly, well, sure. but also because <laughs> I'm glad that I'm glad that people can read it. You know, no, I think it's really important. It's funny, Sarah Shuttleworth used to always say to me. In a paper, if you can sneak in a negative result with all your other positive results, <laughs> do it. Because it's like if there's an extra experiment where you didn't find something, make sure sh- don't don't leave that out. Right. Because the stuff should be out there so someone doesn't have to redo it. Like you were just saying, uh, and you just have to say, Oh, I have the results of that in my drawer here, but no one was interested in publishing it. Uh, so you you know, it's it's a it's a good thing to do. So I mean, this is like I said, it's it's cool work. I think you talked about it one year at some of it at CO3 at a poster. Um yeah. So I, I do some of this stuff. Um, and of course, I, I did my homework. I read the paper. <laughs> <laughs> um, then you move on. You decide you did your PhD uh, starting in 2017, I'm guessing. Is that yep. right? Yeah, that's right. Yes, because, well, yeah, I was at your master's, I was at your master's graduation. I wasn't actually there, folks, for Jeff. I was there for my daughter. Uh, um, well, and dis- Jeff, dis- what dis- the hell? Disappointing. No. <laughs> now, wait a second. Now, did, and Carolyn Strang got her PhD that year, right? Uh, is that right? No. No. Who did then? Somebody I knew. Maybe not then. It doesn't matter. Sarah Farrell, maybe? Yeah, maybe. Maybe that's who um, it was. Okay. I think that's right. Because Caroline was just a couple years later. That's right. That's And she's actually, she, and she's uh, going to be the I was next episode say, of this. I saw, I saw Caroline not that long ago, and, and she yeah. said that she was going to. She's going to be on. I'm, I'm just going to go through the whole Sherry lab. That's my plan. I mean. <laughs> it's easy to again, do. And I, bias, I know people, but we're a great group. Pretty great group. Um. <laughs> And I, my sabbatical proposal only has, I think, six of these episodes, and that'll be three. I'll do more. Um, anyway, so you go on, you're going to do your PhD. Um, and going to uh, looking at cash pilferage, which is something that, geez, I know David has been interested in going back to when, geez, even before I got to, to, to Toronto in 88, I know, oh, geez, Christine Hitchcock was working on that for her PhD but or masters or something anyway it didn't really matter maybe chris is listening and she can tell me um but i know that dave was interested in cash pilfering and other people have been interested too and you had a bit of a, a bit of a novel take on it um so walk us through the stuff you've been talking about with that so yeah pe- people have been interested in this for for a while um and um i was i mean fortunate that there's a a, a pretty good and reasonably recent review um on cash pilferage generally. Um, and I, I love starting, you know, I think this isn't a, a me thing, but I love starting with reviews, right? Because some, someone else has, has identified the gaps in the knowledge. Um, and that's, I think, wonderful. Anyway, so um, I, I read a, a, a ton of, of cash pilferage literature. And one thing that I noticed is that there were all these, these cash pilferage strategies that that people were assigning to, to birds and to different species and things, um, but that, that they seem to try to be assigning sort of one strategy to one species. Right. Um, and not always universally across, right? So we have some papers that will say, you know, X species uses Y strategy and, and another paper that will say the same species uses a different, you know, Z strategy. Yes. But, but never, never looking at how context can maybe make these species use these strategies simultaneously. Right. Um, and so, because uh, like I mentioned, we have AFAR, so we have all these cool toys to play with. Um, we have the spatial setup to do some of these things, to, to, to let the birds um, move freely in a, in a space that then can be, you know, well-controlled and, and observed live. And so we can see all these things. And so what I wanted to do um, was I wanted to assess how Canada jays, which were the, the sort of focal species of my, my entire PhD work, right. um, employed or, or used multiple context-dependent cash protection strategies. Do they use different strategies based on different pilferage risk? Do they use mm-hmm. multiple simultaneously? You know, do they, do they prioritize one over another? Um, and so that's, that's what we did. Um, when you read the the caching the cash pilfers literature you sort of get these these strategies and i keep saying strategies i mean things like um well they're sort of divided uh i have sort of divided them into two categories okay um and so they're they're fundamentally sort of quantity based um and these are these are up regulation down regulation or cessation basically those are sort of three big groups you can either 
cash more because the pilferer can't possibly steal them all. <laughs> That's right. Sure. You can cash less because the less you cash, the less you have to lose. And, and that really only works if you don't need to be cashing all the time. Right. Um, because it comes with some inherent loss. <laughs> yes. Um, and then, yeah. then there's obviously cessation, which is just stopping altogether. Yeah. Um, and it's that's a non-starter that, for a lot of your food storing birds. Well, it is. And it's, it's only really relevant for maybe some insurance caching species. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. But, but not, not widely. You wouldn't expect it to be widely used. Nope. Um, and then there are these sort of second group, the second sort of set of, of, of strategies, which are, I've dubbed them location-based strategies. Um, and, and this is where we, we look at not how many caches the, the birds are making, but where they're putting those things. And so people have observed, you know, that pe- uh, uh, individuals like to cache out of sight of their potential robber, for example, um, or they like to, you know, evenly distribute their cash, which is predicted in, in you know, op- any optimal distribution model. Of course. Um, or they like to cache, you know, the, there's a pretty good evidence that species look at substrates and match the cache to the substrate um, in a sort of camouflage kind of way. So there's right. those kind of strategies. Um, and what we wanted to do was we wanted to look at, at, and see if the Canada Jays would use multiple, mm-hmm. and specifically if they would use multiple from both categories, because there really isn't any reason not to. Sure. Right. If, if you're upregulating caching, where you're putting those caches can still be important. If you're downregulating caching, I would argue that maybe where you're putting those caches is even more important. I was going to say more important. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yep. Um, and, and so that's, that's what we did. We set up these four different contexts that all had varying levels of risk. Um, and this paper um, is actually, it's not out yet, um, but it will be very, very shortly. It's going cool. to be out in animal behavior. So when that happens, nice. I'll make sure the, the link gets posted. Yeah, do that. Uh, I mean, I, I have, I found over. a link to your PhD thesis at Western. So I, I'll, I'll, oh, cool. link to, I'll link to that. But I mean, I don't know if I've read my PhD thesis because uh, <laughs> they're long. Yeah, um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I've read mine. No, of course, please, don't. <laughs> please, it, it, it's done now. You don't have to. Exactly. Uh, yeah, but eventually, when you do, uh, f- fire it off to me. But for now, I'll, I'll link in the show notes to your thesis at Western. People who are, who are really interested in it can find out. So, what was the upshot of the whole thing? Um, so yeah, so what we found is that Canada Jays certainly do pay attention to these these contacts and the the pilferage risk. Yep. Um, and that uh, and that they use both types of strategy these quantity-based and these location-based strategies mm-hmm. simultaneously. And as you would predict, um, based on the, the context, right? So we see them when, they're, when, when the risk is high everywhere yeah. in, in all of these locations that they've been given, yeah. they downregulate caching and they employ this sort of spacing strategy where they evenly distribute their caches like you might predict. But when you modify risk so that some are safe and some are different, they sort of override the spacing strategy and use a, a sort of grouped out of sight strategy. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and I think I think what's really cool about it is that these patterns are true regardless of level of risk. Okay. Overall, as long as the risk is the same. So, if the risk between the locations is low, low, then they employ the same set of strategies that they do yeah. if the risk is high, high. Yeah. But if you make that high, low or low, high, mm-hmm. then they, they do all sorts of different things to maximize the likelihood that their caches will be viable when they need them, which makes total sense. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, I mean, that's, that's beautiful, I have, actually. I yeah. have data. Yeah. <laughs> you see the big stupid look on my face. Like, yeah, of course it's like that. But that's great. Yeah. I, love, I love when things work the way it's funny. There's two, my two favorite kinds of results are that's exactly what I would have expected or that's totally different than I would have expected. Yeah. <laughs> and this which is like reading. Which makes reading papers exciting because no, it really does. Yeah. And that's 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 pretty pretty great. I mean, I, I I love when stuff works out, and I love when it makes such sense. Um, it, it makes me happy. Uh, <laughs> it, no, it just does. I mean, it's 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 like when I hear a talk, say, yeah. say three or something, and it's like, and I'm following it, and then I go, okay, now you lost me. Like if, if it's a little bit outside the stuff I'm reading and it's like, okay, I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. Damn it. I have nine, I'm, I'm screwed. I have no idea what you do for the first three years of listening to Ken Chang speak. That was my whole experience. <laughs> um, whereas now, now I, now that I get Ken, it takes some time. Right. Then you go, of course. Yeah. He's so smart. Um, <laughs> he lives in a different world. That guy. Uh, <laughs> hoping to have him on at some point, but the Australia difference is a big yeah. difference. Yeah. That'd be cool though. It would be great. I, I, 
one of the neatest things I ever did was publish a paper with him. That was, that was cool. Um, nice. Yeah, it was cool. So now you're a postdoc, but you're not in Montreal, but you're at McGill, right? Yes. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm postdocing with Melanie Gigano, awesome. um, who's another Sherry Lab alum. That, so, yeah. Um, Maybe I'll yeah, contact and, her as well, I think probably. Yeah. yeah. And I'll, so I'll be going, I'm not in Montreal yet, uh, right. but I will be in Montreal uh, in two weeks. Really? Yeah. Just in um, time for the Stanley Cup parade. I, you know what? Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that I, I fall squarely. I, I you know, I, I knew this was going to come up. I, uh, did. <laughs> I mean, I'm a diehard Leafs fan. I have been, I was course. born around Toronto. Yes. And I, I, I think that I fall squarely in, in the, the camp with many, many, many Maple Leaf fans, which is, it's hard to cheer against a Canadian team winning because okay. sure. there's some, there's some level of, but if it were possible to, to dissociate Carey Price and the Montreal Canadiens and Carey Price could win and the <laughs> franchise could lose, I think that that's, you know, I was, I found myself, I was, I watched game one the other night yeah. and I really didn't know how I would feel. Yeah. And I found myself cheering for Montreal, um, right. which is hard to say out loud, <laughs> but Awesome. But what I really, but I really found myself doing was cheering for Carey Price. Like there's just, he's been no, he's, responsible. Yeah. He's been responsible for so many Canadian hockey moments. That's right. Um, as opposed to Canadians yeah. hockey moments. I gotcha. Um, that, uh, that I, I just, I, I think I can get over the whole Montreal thing. I just want to see him win. Yeah. Just, you know, yeah. I just want to see him win. <laughs> it's been a while. In fact, last time they won the Stanley Cup was the year I, I got my PhD. That's how long ago it was, 1993. And uh, it was the year I was born. <laughs> see, exactly. And then this is the thing. I, I uh, uh, the my PhD thesis actually the final acknowledgement just says uh, finally I'd list, I'd like to thank Conn Smythe Trophy winner Patrick Waugh and the rest of the 1992-93 Stanley Cup champions, the Montreal Canadiens. Um, so that's actually in the archives of Canada, which makes me happy. So that's what kind what kind of stuff are you going to be working on at Miguel? So be working on, um, it's a sort of another change of gears. I'm really excited for yeah, it. Postdoc um, should be a change of gear. That's always been my thinking. Well, that's good. That's good. Cause this certainly, I'm excited. So I'm going to, I'm working in a cowbird system, um, brown headed cowbirds. Yeah. Um, and it's sort of at this intersection of sexual selection, which is sort of pretty in line with what I, you know, my sure. background uh, and, and then, and and cognition, which you know, I'm becoming obviously more familiar with, and yeah. and well, I find yeah. fascinating, of course. Sure. Of course. Um, <laughs> um, and so there was a there was this really cool paper a couple of years ago now, I guess, um, in Budgies looking at female choosiness as a function of male cognitive ability. Oh, I know um, this paper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've read that. I've was, read I mean, that. High, yeah, highly. You know, it's it's not it's not a secret, right? Everyone it got a lot of attention, and it, because yeah. it's cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. Right. Yep. Um, and so that's sort of the inspiration for, for some of what we're, we're going to be doing um, and looking at, at sexual selection in the brown headed cowbird um, and then looking at the importance of um, ecological validity on cognitive assessments in the lab. Right. Beautiful. So, um, and I think that I, I'm really excited about that because I think it's a really cool crossover of the things that I really enjoy doing. Yeah. Um, you know, like, you know, you might expect, for example, the, the, the chickadees, I mean, this is, this isn't new, but, but it's a, a really good example, right? Black cat chickadees are excellent at spatial tasks. They are. Because that makes sense. <laughs> and they're, they're less good yeah. at, you know, foraging problem solving because they don't need to be. Um, right. And so if you did a, a problem solving task in the lab, you would, you would, you know, you would evaluate chickadees cognitive function much differently than if you were to do a, a complex spatial task. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that sort of intersection in the context of, of sexual selection and cognition, um, I, I, it's got me really excited. Oh, I, it's, it's, this sounds wonderful. And it's right, up my, good, it's right? right yeah. up my alley. Too. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's, that sounds perfect. I love it. Um, I, I hope it, it turns out great there. I mean, as someone who just finished up graduate school, do you have any like advice for potential graduate students out there? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think one thing that I, I think maybe gets overlooked sometimes um, is, is that the cliche advice is cliche because it's true. <laughs> the thing, you know, like, well, well put. I, I feel like we, we like, you know, you blow those things off. People say like, make sure you take time for yourself and like try to, you know, take your weekends off when you can. And like, if you work 19 days in a row, maybe take like three or four days off because you've, you know, and like, 
we all we, we hear those things constantly but like they're, they're true they're true do, yeah. do those things yeah. they'll make your experience infinitely better um and the other the other one um that i really like that i got from uh caroline strang so hopefully <laughs> i won't steal her bit from next week well, i hope um, you do i think it'd be funny i also really hope i do um <laughs> is is that um these like milestones um and and accomplishments are just those they're important um and that sometimes they can feel like the next step or like what you're supposed to do because you've surrounded yourself with people who are in similar places um and i think that that those things are important you know when when you defend uh at western we defend proposals and then we have comprehensive exams and then when you do those things, I think that it's important to take a second and acknowledge that you've accomplished uh, the thing that you were trying to accomplish. Yes. Um, because really what it feels like sometimes anyway is, you know, you, I did my comprehensive exams on like a Tuesday afternoon because in academia, every day of the week is a, a day that you can have <laughs> yes. these big milestone <laughs> things, right? Yeah. yeah. And it was sort of like, I did, you know, I, I did my comprehensive exams on a Tuesday afternoon and like, you know, I was back at my desk on Wednesday morning, just sort of back at the grind. And I don't think there's anything wrong with being back at your desk. No, no, but I think not. taking a second to acknowledge that the thing you accomplished was difficult, that it yeah. is genuinely an accomplishment. Yes. Um, and that it's not, it shouldn't be devalued in any way because the person sitting next to you at your desk has also done that. Yeah. It just makes both of you special. It doesn't make, you know, neither of you yeah. special. So I think that, that, that that's some advice Caroline gave me pretty early. Um, and it was, and you know, that's, that, that's really solid advice. I, and it's funny, even if you go on in a career in academia, I don't know what other careers are like. That's why I'm going to talk about that. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, when you think to yourself, I did this thing, uh, you know, I got promoted, I got tenure, I got, um, recognized in a, by, I got, I got a paper published. You know, um, every time that happens, something cool like that, you actually should take a second and go, you know, I'm actually pretty okay at this. Uh, and I did a thing and I did a thing that a lot of people have done. Uh, and partially that's because most people wouldn't be so crazy as to do it, but partially it's because most people can't do it. And you should sort of put that through, your, you know, and you don't have to be full of yourself about it, but you can certainly say, I did a cool thing. And I, I that that's really solid advice. Um, I really think that it's important that, um, people who go on to grad school and, and further uh, do take those pieces of advice. Those are great, Jeff. Um, before we get going, uh, is there anywhere people can follow your work on the interwebs, any websites or Twitter handles I should be pimping? Um, ooh, that's a good question. So ResearchGate is sort of my go-to that I, that I keep updated. Um, and then I'm on Twitter yes. and I'm really bad at um, knowing my own Twitter handle. So, um, give me one moment. Um, <laughs> see if I go, see if I can find it first. I bet you can find it faster. Cause I don't even know where to look. Um, oh, it's, it's at Jeff Martin underscore 17. Yeah. So there's, there were 16 other Jeff Martins who signed up for Twitter before you. Yes. I think that's, that was it. Or, or, or possibly that that was my, uh, my baseball number. And I was an undergrad oh, when I made it. I see. Very good. Very yeah, you can follow so. me on Twitter at dbroadback if you're looking for podcasts, other entertaining things that have nothing to do with animal cognition. Let's say you're interested in Mad Men and you want to hear somebody who's watched it 19 times talk to an English professor who's watching it for the first time. Tune in to Sterling Cooper, David Steve, where me and my friend Dr. Steve Cloutier talk about Mad Men every week. And there's other ones. You can find them uh, where I do podcasts. Best episode ever about retro TV. It's another one. I don't know. How about Marshall McLuhan Variety Hour, which is neither about Marshall McLuhan. It's not a, a variety show and it's not an hour, but Dave Sherry's a big fan. Um, he, is. He, he talks about it frequently. I know, which I find just I fascinating. I, I love the fact that we were in that the Rob Hampton Zoom thing one night and he said, is that where the Marshall McLuhan Variety Hour takes place? I said, well, sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway, so uh, if you have a I don't know why anybody listens to that show. It's really just me and my friend, Anthony, being idiots. On that note, uh, thanks for this, Jeff. I really appreciate you coming on and I'll uh, hopefully see you again soon. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. And uh, I'm sure at some point we'll, we'll cross paths. But not everyone believes that biology is destiny. For many scientists, it's your experiences in life that count. Your upbringing, your education, your environment. Chief among these scientists is psychologist John Watson. 
who offers a theory that is the mirror opposite of eugenics. Pigeon learned that pecking the disc produced a reward. Then the behavior of pecking could be studied in relation to how often that reward was offered. Or in Skinner's terms, what was the schedule of reinforcement? The main thing is what, what we call schedules of reinforcement. Reinforcement is what the layman calls reward, and you can schedule it uh, so that a reward occurs every now and then when a pigeon does something. We usually use a response with a pigeon pecking a little disc, a little spot in the wall, and you can reinforce with food. But you don't reinforce every time, you every, perhaps every tenth time, or perhaps only once every minute or something like that. There are a very large number of, of schedules, and they have their uh, special effects. the same genome and so they would try to we are a, a clone if you want and, and we try to help our um, gametes to go into the next generation in this case is a conflicting system and um, for that reason this is very interesting this is a parasite and this is um, one of the many hosts that is feeding this baby which doesn't look at all like the, like the host and nevertheless they manage to use precise trickery to make them do what they want. <laughs> 